Today I want to talk about why having prior consulting experience in your resume does not necessarily help you recruit with the major firms. In fact, I'm going to go as far as to say that in many cases it is a liability. And what I want to do is explain to you why it's a liability and how you can mitigate that when you do apply. But also for those of you who are just leaving undergraduate programs or MBA programs and are considering applying to consulting firms in the future either after an unsuccessful attempt now or or just having put it on hold I want to really guide you in terms of the decisions you're going to be making now that will put you in a good position to reapply to consulting firms or apply for the first time within six months to a year or even two years before I get into the story and the understanding of why prior consulting experience can hurt you I just want to give you a brief analogy to explain the concept and then I'll talk through some of the details Imagine you are a designer for Lada. I don't know if you know Lada. Lada is, I think, a Yugoslavian or a Russian-made car. Pretty much not well-known all over the world. Not known for anything, really. It's, it's, it's a car that has not distinguished itself. In fact, it's a car that is distinguished for not being distinguished. It is widely known as one of the most unreliable cars made in the sort of Western world, in inverted commas. So imagine you were a designer at Lada. And imagine you actually happen to be a great designer. You know, you had um, you were widely recognized as one of the up-and-coming designers, but you had worked in the maybe um, des um, jewelry space, and you wanted to break into cars, and no one would hire you in the recession, so you had to go to Lada. And you're at a dinner at a design conference, and you see the head of design for Ferrari, and you go up and speak to him. Now he doesn't know you. He doesn't know your background, and. All he knows is you work at Lada. So you shake his hand and say, hey, I'm an uh, intern designer at Lada. I'm interested in joining Ferrari. What do you think he's going to do? He doesn't know your background. He doesn't know that you were designing Fabergé eggs and you know ha you have the stellar resume in the field you were in. And the only reason you're at Lada is because you wanted to get some automotive experience before you moved on. The point is he's going to judge you based on the impression Lada creates, firstly, irrespective of how good your unique skills are. More than that, he knows that because Lada has never produced an outstanding designer, the skills, training techniques, and even the values and culture of the firm is not conducive to producing star designers. So he's going to look at you, and he's not going to know your unique circumstances, and he's going to say, well, the Lada designer, what possible value can they bring to my in a distinguished design team. Now that's similar to what's going to happen to you when a McKinsey or a, or a Bain or even BCG recruiter looks at your resume and says, well, you work at Accenture. Accenture is not known for training people. How is this going to help me? Now you could be an unusual person. You could be one of those people that are exceptional. You know, Accenture does have exceptional people, Deloitte as well. But the point is the average is not. And it's very hard for you to distinguish yourself amongst the average people. Uh, beyond that, there are some other issues at play, and I'll talk you through them. Firstly, you need to define a consultant. The word consultant has many different definitions. Engineering firms have now started calling themselves engineering consultants because they can charge clients higher fees for doing pretty mundane work. Everyone uses the term consultant. To call yourself a consultant is to call yourself nothing. What defines a consultant is the firm they've worked at and the values they have. So when you say, I'm a management consultant, therefore I have experience, it, you're actually saying nothing. You're saying that you, you worked somewhere with, where they called you a consultant and we're not even sure what experience you have. And exactly what experience do you have? 
I mean, how do you know the experience you have is useful? In fact, if the big four or the big three, depending on how you look at it, have set the gold standard for management consulting, everyone else is pretty much copying them. You know, if uh, BCG does a fantastic report on how women should shop for lingerie, which they have done for Victoria's Secret, you can be pretty sure that every other consulting firm is either going to do a derivation of that study because it's now a hot topic, how women shop, or it's basically going to copy what BCG did and sell it back into the market. It happens. So, when you say you're a consultant and you have experience, be very, take a very critical viewpoint and ask yourself, what exactly, mean when you, what exactly do you mean when you say you're a consultant? And secondly, what experience do you really have? And when I, when I say take a critical viewpoint, let me give you a very simple example of how this works, right? Consulting is big in teamwork. So if you go work for Deloitte and so on and you tell people, well, I was a consultant, therefore I think I know how this works, let me assure you, you have no idea how it works. I've, but when I left management consulting, I spoke to many firms who wanted me to join them at a certain level and to you know, guide some of their businesses, sometimes have a pan-practice viewpoint on issues. In other cases, we, we advised some firms not because we wanted to join them, but because they asked for guidance on how they should set up either their research teams or they should do work in a certain area. And let me tell you the way many firms work. If a research project has to be done, they'll split up the work into regulatory analysis, financial modeling, tax advisory, whatever it is. They'll get all the specialist eight people to work on the project. The tax person and regulatory person would do all the work by themselves. At the end of the project, they'll submit their slides and it'll be the job of the project manager to integrate it. That is not the way teamwork works in a major consulting firm. The way it works is that on a weekly, at least at, at least a weekly basis, but usually on a daily or, 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 or a two-day basis, the person leading the regulatory piece of analysis will update his colleagues so that anything that he finds useful in the regulatory work that impacts his colleagues' work, they can act on it. And while his colleagues listen to the regulatory analysis he's doing, they can tell him things that will impact his work. So it's not a surprise at the end where everyone sees it for the first time three weeks after the analysis or seven weeks after the analysis and the manager integrates it. That's not how you do management consulting works. It's closely integrated. Someone's responsible for, for a piece of analysis, but everyone's accountable. So that's an example of how something as simple as teamwork differs amongst the sort of second tier firms, as they call them, and amongst the tier one firms, the big four. And when we say big four, we mean, you know, BCG, McKinsey, Rollenberger, and Bain. Um, you c some people argue and say booze needs to be there, but the point is, you know what, these are the big four. So there are many differences. Now, why is it, you know, what are the other reasons when a firm looks at your resume and sees consulting experience they don't want to bring you in? Well, the first thing is that if you sincerely believe that the experience you got at a lower tier firm is as good as the major firm, then you're going to come in with an attitude that you don't need to learn as much as other people. And that's not the attitude they want. Dealing with an attitude tends to be a big job. I mean, I'll give you an example of this. We've recently had a candidate from A.T. Kearney contact us, INSEAD graduate, and told us that, look, I want to join your program because I want to go to McKinsey and Bain. And I said, okay, fine. But, um, you know, you can't join our program. You need to go through a screening process. It's standard operating procedure. No one can get in without the screening process. And I must add to you up front that there are no guarantees. Only about, you know, somewhere between 15 and 10% make it through the screening process. And if you accept to be part of the screening process, then you need to understand that um, 
at the end of this we may, we may decline you. The candidate got upset because his viewpoint was that I worked at A.D. Kearney, I got into A.D. Kearney, why do I need to be screened? And that's exactly why consulting firms are wary of people who have consulting experience on their resume because they have an entitlement attitude. If you do have consulting experience, the way to spin it is to say that you wanted to see if the lifestyle was uh, conducive to the way you wanted to take your career. You know the lifestyle is definitely something you can manage, but now you want to learn the proper skills of how to do proper analysis. That's the way to spin it. But don't come in and say you are entitled because you've already worked in a consulting firm. Beyond that, you will learn many bad habits and values when you join other firms. And let me give you an example of that. I remember sitting in the performance review discussion of the regional office of one of the accounting firms. So when I quit, I had a colleague who called me and said, look, we're going to be doing our performance reviews. Will you sit in and sort of tell me what's happening? I said, okay, fine. The first thing I noticed was that 90% of the discussion was about how much work the senior managers had sold. Right there is a conflict in the values of management consulting. If you measure someone on the value of volume of work they sell, what do you think they will do? They will try to sell work to clients even if clients don't need it. Now, there are many habits and values that you're going to pick up in the lower tier firms that you don't even know you're picking up that are poisonous to running a truly successful advisory business. For example, chasing dollar sales is a very bad habit. Bad habits in the way teams operate, sharing of work. I mean, that is something that just makes my skin crawl when I think about the audit firms. And even some of the well-known firms like Accenture and so on, which are not truly global partnerships. They say they are, but they're not. The point is that if you're not a global partner partnership, the different partnerships don't like to share work because they feel they're giving it away to a foreign business. It's true. It happens. Believe me. You will pick up many bad habits. You'll misinterpret the values of management consulting. And they will need to be sort of beaten out of you when you join management consulting at the tier one firms. And the point is, it's very hard to do it. I mean, we deal with, the, for example, Accenture. We deal with a lot of Accenture graduates who want, Accenture employees, sorry, who want to join the, the tier one firms. And let me tell you, one of the most difficult tasks I have to do is to get them to speak in English. They've been trained to speak in cliches that no one understands. They'll say something like, um, the implementation framework of the, uh, of the rollout phase. I mean, what is that? Speak in English. You need to take complex things and make it easier to understand. If you take complex things and make it even more complicated, you're not doing the world you're not doing the work of a consultant. And the problem is many of these firms take great pride when they when their employees speak in these in this terminology only they understand. You're actually hurting them. If only they understand it, clients are not gonna understand it. You've got to get people to speak in English. Erase consulting cliches. The point is you don't even know you're picking up these things. And two years in, you're speaking like someone that no one understands. The other problem with people who have um, uh, experience, and a true story, we had a person who's joining Deloitte and told me that they want to apply to BCG later, but they want to know if they spend two years at Deloitte, do they come in at a associate or will they come in at an analyst level? And I told them, look, based on my experience, you're most likely have to come in at an associate level unless you're going to, uh, at a, sorry, at a, yes, at an associate level. At BCG, associate is a lower level. It's below the MBA level, unless you're going to do your MBA and then apply. And he was very unhappy with that. But the point is, you that's the reality. Do not have a sense of entitlement.
beyond coming in at lower levels, if you did come in at a higher level, let's assume for some reason you got in, you haven't been you haven't taught the you haven't been taught the proper hypothesis, development skills, decision tree skills, storyboarding skills, analysis skills, values at your previous firm, how are you going to guide junior people to learn those skills when you're learning it yourself? So when you make that transition across from uh, a tier two firm, it's very difficult to quickly ramp up with the skills you need. In fact, it's it's really painful. I've worked with people where the firm has taken a bet on and brought them in at senior positions, and it is tough. They have the wrong value system. They don't know how to engage clients. They don't have the analytical firepower. They're obviously intelligent, but just the amount of ramp up they have to do on the core skills is too much. And core skills, I mean values and understanding how to do analysis. That's what I mean when I say core skills. The only thing that counts if you want to join a consulting firm is the ability to solve cases and to have the right value system. Joining another consulting firm is not going to help you. Joining Deloitte Accenture is not going to give you the skills to solve cases the way McKinsey and Rollenberger is going to do it. So just forget about that. If that is, if that is why you are joining those firms to get two years of experience to be able to take those skills to the other firms that you want to join, you can pretty much forget about it. Now, let me explain to you how this works, right? If you are a junior person who has some experience, you're going to start at the bottom when you join Tier 1. If you're a senior person, you will really be hired if you want to switch to the big, uh, to the major firms. I'll tell you why you're really hired. Junior person, while after two years, they've picked up bad habits and cliches and so on that's hard to get out of them. For a senior person, it's almost impossible to wean them off it. To be fair, we do have some senior people that we are working with from the accounting firms and from industry and so on who used to be in consulting. They don't make up the bulk of our group and we screen them very carefully, very, very carefully to make sure that um, we believe that they can be transitioned without too much uh, pain into uh, a consulting firm. This is my advice to you. Now, there are several groups. There's a first group which is saying, should I'm not ready for consulting. Should I even apply now? Or should I go to Deloitte? or Accenture, AT Kearney, PwC, whatever it is, and then reapply in two years. There's another group which says, undergraduates, I've applied, I didn't make it. Should I go to you know, the tier two firm? And then there's the MBA group, applied and didn't make it. My advice to all three groups, if you really want to go after the tier one firms, go into industry. I'll tell you why. Consulting firms prize industry experience for a couple of reasons. Industry experience means you've gained sector knowledge of something. As a consultant, if you're going to Deloitte, you're not going to gain much sector experience and you're definitely not going to gain any consulting skills they're going to use, so don't bother taking that route. If you're going to industry, you'll learn some sector skills. Beyond learning some sector skills, you'll learn some analytical skills which will be useful to the consulting firm. You'll develop yourself in the base of teamwork. You will learn how to manage conflict. You'll, you will be in an environment that's going to teach you something that a consulting firm cannot teach you. That's very important. Everything else that the tier two firms purport to teach you, the major firms can do a much better job of it. So you have to go somewhere that you're going to gain a skill they cannot give you, and industry can do that. Really focus on building your profile in industry. What I mean by that is do a good job and get promoted quickly. One year, two years down the line, with that underneath your belt, you can reapply and you will have a profile that shows you've progressed. Do not be like the Lada designer and spend another two years at Lada saying, hey, look, 
I know how to design cars. You still don't know how to design cars the way Ferrari does it. Go and gain a skill that Ferrari would prize. Maybe working at a firm that specializes in in how to design uh, a metal sheets, how to bend, how to prefabricate metal or aluminium or fiberglass or whatever it is Ferraris are made of these days. The point is this. You've got to gain a skill in the interim that will be useful to consulting firms. If that analogy didn't work with Ferrari, let me give you another analogy. If you want to play for Manchester United, you don't go and play for a for a level for a what's it called level three team in in the in the um, English leagues. You have to play at the top levels to gain the skills, or you have to put yourself into coaching to get to the top levels. So my analogy here is very simple. If you want to join a management consulting firm, the top ones anyway. Working at the tier 2 firms and below is only going to hurt your chances. If you are in a tier 2 firm already, understand that. And when you are ready to make the transition, do not go in with the attitude that you understand management consulting and therefore you need to make the jump on a lateral basis. It's not going to work for you. Consulting is about demonstrated competency. If you deserve to be an associate and you were a senior consultant at Deloitte, you can prove it in the cases. If you cannot, you're not going to make the jump. So... It's an honest appraisal because we get these questions almost on a daily basis. We see it on a daily basis. And I'm hoping that after hearing this podcast, people would make right decisions about where they would go after they graduate. Industry is a very, very good route. If you do want to go into management consulting, but you didn't make the cut now, go into industry, excel. If you are in a tier two firm, it's not the end of the world, but be able to prepare yourself to prove you have the foundation skills to be in a management consulting firm. The headline is do not go in with the assumption that because you've worked at a tier 2 firm in management consulting, you have what it takes and your experience will be recognized for the time you've put in. That's a very important point. Hopefully you enjoyed that. As always, feel free to um, send me your comments and I'll be happy to respond to them.